Welcome to the Hyper Voice. I am your host, Stephen Morioka, and I am joined today by Alexander Hill. Hello, everybody. Alola to you. <laughs> and yeah, we forgot, man. We keep, I keep forgetting we're supposed to do Alola every time. Yeah, don't let, we, we shouldn't let it die down. Just keep on, keep it on with the Alola. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we have, uh, London, our first ever international just occurred. It finished up. We have results, we have teams, we have a lot to talk about today. And first off, Alex, how did you enjoy uh, watching the stream from home? What'd you think? What'd you like? I definitely think it was a really well-run stream. Um, it was very enjoyable to watch. Uh, I liked a lot of the matches. They were all really cool. And uh, a lot of the teams that we saw, they streamed a lot of matches. I was a little, little disappointed that uh, my friend Tommy didn't get uh, on stream in the top eight. They just kind of played three of the top eight matches, and then suddenly they were, like, moving on to semis, and I was like, well, where's Tommy? Unfortunately, he lost out, but, uh, yeah, it was really fun to watch from home. Uh, great viewer experience, and, yeah, very fun. What do you think of it, Steven? Stream was great from what I got to see of it. You know, time zones kind of hurt us there, but, you know, I enjoyed it a lot. Certainly very different compared to previous uh, metagames we've seen before, and, you know, I thought commentary was great. They did a really good job out there. I'm happy they, you know, did well. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, comedy and wit between a bunch of the commentators too. So that was enjoyable. I liked uh I liked the you know general good variety of teams we saw as well. And um yeah, I thought it was well run. Well, the stream was well run at least. And uh we'll get into some other issues here, but. Why don't we just quickly go over the top eight results? You know, these are probably the most significant here. I'll just go list these out and then we'll talk about some stuff after this. Winning the international here and Europe won. Hey, hey, I was right <laughs> from last time. I guess that's another reason uh, we were all sad Tommy lost in the first round because then America's hopes were dashed. Yeah, I know. I was like thinking it was still totally possible, but it just ended right there. Yeah, and we have... Going through the results here quickly, Miguel Marti de la Torre from Spain winning the international. And here's Spain, you know, coming out on top again. Very strong nation in Pokemon. And I believe this, I believe he goes by Sekium, so I'm just going to refer to him as Sekium from here on out, just because that's a lot shorter than his actual name is. Then we have Italy in second and third with Nico David Cognetta in second, Michelle Givelli in third. Then we have the UK, Ben Kiriaku in fourth, William Tansley in fifth. Uh, Tobias Kaczynski from Germany in 6th, Tommy Colleen from the U.S. in 7th, and Nils Dunlop from Sweden in 8th. So, pretty diverse cut in with in terms of nationalities there, you know, 5 or 6 different countries. That's pretty nice there. So, what do you make of those results and the players you see up there? Uh, well, it was, like you said, very diverse. It was cool to see that. Uh, we did have one American representative, uh, like you had mentioned earlier, and... We were definitely rooting for him, but uh, Tommy did lose in the top eight, and uh, you were correct. Europe brought it home. Uh, two Italians and two from the UK, both doing very well. Um, and yeah, the, the diverse, diversity in the cut was really cool. The diversity in the teams uh, was really cool. There's lots of different strategies in there. Uh, we already are seeing a bit of... Uh, like, kind of seeing the top Pokemon come out, but, you know, you expect to see that early in the format. But it's really cool uh, what ended up 
winning and just all the teams. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, just to talk about some of the players here, you know, a few of them are kind of, you know, the Italian names I don't actually recognize. Maybe I'm missing something, but they, I don't, I'm not very familiar with these names. But some of the other ones I do recognize, you know, I've seen Nils Dunlop, his name before, you know, Tobias Kaczynski, you know, he's a very good player in Germany, you know, proving it here with the top eight finish in London. And William Tansley has been widely regarded as one of the best players in the UK, you know, among their top tier group in there. So not surprised to see this big finish here. Ben Kiriakou getting to semis, you know, he's a two-time national champion already. He was close to getting a third title in that regard. You know, international is pretty equivalent, closely equivalent to a national title. So he was very close there. And then Sekiyam, who took first, you know, I'm actually not surprised at all that he won this thing just because he's been playing for a long time. He's a very good player. And something people probably don't realize or probably don't know is back in Worlds 2014, he was the one who played Seijin in the top eight round for Worlds Top Cut. And in game two, if I recall this correctly, uh, and, and again, because there wasn't any, no one was videotaping this, so there isn't actual evidence in this game two. I know Jimmy Kwa has game three of this match on his YouTube, but in game two, Sekian was up three to two against Seijin, I believe, and Seijin had to pull out all the stops to win that game. And I was, I remember watching that and I just couldn't believe Sajin pulled it back and, you know, just showing how good he was under that high pressure situation. So if Sajin hadn't won that one, you know, we could have seen Sekiyam win Worlds that year. Who knows? But not surprised by this big result here. Yeah. And it's really cool to see a Spanish player make it so far, uh, because, uh, they don't really have such a huge scene from what I hear, uh, for like larger tournaments. And so it's really cool that. He's still keeping polished, keeping the skills up, and actually winning this tournament. That's really awesome. Yeah, he's retaining the title for Spain for uh, passing it from Alex Gomez to him, uh, keeping that UK area title there. And, you know, that's kind of the joke with what about Spain is they don't have a lot of representation in terms of tournaments in their own actual country, so they always have to travel out. But... Showing big results here, you know, we got Spain in ninth, and Alex Gomez was also in 16th, and then there's Eric Rios and a bunch of other players further down from Spain who made it to day two. But anyway, those are some of the results. We'll get into the teams a little bit later, but we'll go over a few more other things that happened in London that we, th that we think are significant to talk about. Alex, uh, what do you want to start with? Well, speaking of teams, I guess we could kind of talk about uh, the teams or the team sheet issues that some uh, people ran into. Uh, surprisingly, many players uh, and players that we recognize uh, running into these issues. And uh, it's not something that, you know, we're really used to. We haven't seen it come up too often uh, at tournaments, but uh, people were filling out team sheets wrong and being punished for it. And I thought that was kind of crazy. So yes, the people had issues with team sheets. They were punished for it. I do think, you know, it isn't the rule, so that had to kind of happen. And really all that came down to is carelessness by some of these players, you know, making the, some of these mistakes, even if it's by missing a number or a move or whatever it was. You know, this is a simple thing to do. Just be diligent with it. Uh, shouldn't happen again. Yeah, it's like it's something that 
Uh, you shouldn't, you know, worry about too much because it's not something that's going to happen often. But when you're filling out your team sheet, just, you know, take your time with it. Like, look over it a couple of times and just piece by piece compare everything. Like, does this ability match up with this ability? Does this uh, move match up with this move? And uh, just make sure that everything's in the proper order and you shouldn't have any problems. Like, if you just spent an extra one to two minutes to go over it, uh, these issues could be avoided. Yeah, it's not like we're running our stats down at level 50. So when worst comes to worst, you know, if you don't want people seeing your team sheet or when you're filling it out, go somewhere private, pull your DS out, and make sure all your information matches with the team you're actually using. So there's not – sometimes there's the argument here of, oh, maybe we're kind of nervous when filling it out. Or the other – the probably the bigger one is why should we even need team sheets at all in a tethered tournament? Well – to be honest, we don't really need them, so that's one thing, but for the sake of having, I guess for the sake of the commentary, and to be fair, I guess they don't really need them either, but this is a simple thing that, you know, I guess, you know, the punish, punishment is kind of harsh for some of those players, but this was a simple, basic thing to do, just be a little more careful about it. Yeah, and for the players that uh, ran into the issue with, like, uh, illegal Pokeballs or, you know, having, like, a, a Arceus plate instead of just the other boosting item, you know, those are mistakes that, you know, you need to, like, you could just realize from, like, playing through the game uh, or just with a little bit of research. Like, if you obtain a Porygon in-game, you know that you get it from a trainer in the game and they only can give it to you in a Pokeball, so... Just make sure that you, if you somebody gives you a Porygon, that it's in a Pokeball. Otherwise, don't uh, use that. And then, same thing goes for uh, like using a Arceus plate versus like a item like the Magnet or the Mystic Water. Uh, you, we didn't see the Arceus plates anywhere throughout the game, and those other items are usually pretty easy to get. They normally are just around, and uh, if you can't, uh, if you don't know where it was or you didn't get it, it's a quick Google search away. So. Uh, yeah, definitely just, you know, if the items are easily attainable or, you know, it's something that you can easily avoid just by, you know, doing, again, another minute or two of research, then uh, just try to avoid those types of things. Yeah, big story here is just be careful with what you're doing, both with your Pokemon and with uh, your team sheets. So just be careful about it. Double check everything. Check over your work before you turn it in. <laughs> But I guess to move on from here, you know, that's kind of, those are some few downer topics there to talk about. Let's get to some more interesting things that happened. Like, so big surprise to all the players attending and I guess everyone watching as well from afar and following along. We had, we had a different tournament structure this time. We had cumulative records throughout all, both days. Yeah, I didn't even know what to think of that. Uh, when people were talking about it on Twitter, uh, I was just like, "What? What does this even mean? What will? Who will reach the top cut? Uh, and why are they doing it this way?" I just, I was baffled by the whole thing. So, from what I understand, this is similar to something they do in TCG, but I don't understand why, you know, why we did this in the first place. You know, what was wrong with the X2's cutting uh, aspect before? Yeah, I think that that was like a perfectly fine way to do things, and uh, this is giving me uh, flashbacks to one of the earlier tournaments in the year in the 2016 format. I believe it was like Seattle, where they had, I think, surprise best of three uh, when they expected a best of one tournament. Um, 
you know, you know, just announcing these tournament formats uh, when, like, just before the tournament, like when players are already arriving uh, at the location or at the venue, even uh, it's just a little, it's too late, and it's really can throw players off. And I just thought it was a very odd, odd change to add to this tournament. Yeah, and I think it was uh, Oregon in the ah, winter. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry to correct, sorry to correct you there, but I had to think about it too. Was it Seattle or Oregon? It was one of those up in the northwest. Yeah, that's all I remembered, but I think you're right. I just remember uh, it being in the Winter Series in 2016. Anyway, aside from the surprise factor of having cumulative records for Day 1 and Day 2, this came into play especially for the top cut, which didn't use an X2 cut system. They just had regular standard top 8, make it to cut. You know, some people are going to miss based on resistance, and we had a lot miss based on resistance. And... The important thing here is it seems like day two also was cut around short where they should have had six rounds instead of five because if you look at just day two records, you have three people finish five and oh and then a bunch at four and one where you imagine most of those people should be making top eight. Yeah, that is a little bit weird. Uh, the numbers just not quite adding up there. So let's see here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We had seven, four, ones and three, five, oh's. So let's just assume these records stay as they hold. Um, five of those players from the top, current top eight from the actual results were Sekiam, Nico, Ben, William, and Tommy Kuhlin. So those five would have been in based on resistance and record alone, you know, like normal. And then the other three players who we did not mention were three and two on day two. And you had three, four ones right under them at ninth, 10th, and 11th in. Yuri Arivi from Spain, Yuri from Italy, and then the Japanese player Kinugawa Yuma, who is also 4-1. So they got uh they kind of got shafted with an opportunity there to play in top cut because they because they had cumulative records. Yeah, it's just weird the they're kind of rewarding players for doing better on day one, but uh the day two finishes, maybe their their day two records weren't as great, uh and so it's definitely a totally different dynamic from other day two tournaments that we've seen where uh, the records don't carry over and you have to have both a good day one and day two to make it into the cut typically. Whereas in this case, uh, we had a player go nine and oh on day one and then three and two on day two versus some players who went four and one on day two, which is definitely better. But because uh, that player, Michelle Gavelli, uh, or Mikel Gavelli, uh, went 9-0 and on day one, uh, he ended up making it into the cut. Yeah, and it just really changes the dynamic of how you play, especially during the tournament, for, you know, a bunch of different reasons. And, you know, some of these effects I still don't understand, you know, because a bunch of us haven't experienced this yet. And, you know, my biggest fear with this is, for the sake of consistency for this year, they're going to have to keep this format for the remaining three internationals. You know, I just don't think it would be, if they do change it to something else, it just wouldn't be fair to the people in Europe. So unfortunately, I feel like this is a system that's going to stay with us. You know, they do it in TCG all the time. So they know, you know, this is our thing. We're just going to do what they do. But again, I don't think there's anything wrong with the X2s cutting before. Yeah, it's definitely going to be different uh, when it you know comes around to the U.S. and this new format's going to come at us. Uh, no pun intended, <laughs> us. But anyway, uh, when it when you and I are like going to uh, go into this kind of tournament, you know, if we're we'll at least have uh, some expectancies, we'll see it coming, and 
kind of get ready to adjust for that kind of tournament structure. Absolutely. And one last thing I want to mention here about, you know, details from London. We had a pretty big attendance here, 549 Masters. Yeah, that was absolutely huge. Uh, I just couldn't believe uh, that when I, like, heard it. it. We have, I remember, like, U.S. Nationals for the past two years has been, you know, around the 400s, and I was expecting some growth with Sun and Moon, and this was honestly a really, really large tournament, and I think that's really exciting and awesome. And this was with uh, the game still only being out for about two weeks over there. So I imagine when people have more time to prepare for this kind of major tournament, we should, I imagine we'll get bigger numbers in the other three remaining regions. When they'll happen, that is yet to be discovered. And we'll talk about that later in this show. But I think we can finally start talking about some Pokemon, you know, after all this uh, discussion of the structure and stuff. Yeah, one last thing I wanted to mention is that it probably was a bit larger since this was a uh, open region event, uh, and a lot of players uh, came from all over the country. There was also some invites, uh, paid travel to players, so that's a, a bit of a factor as to why this event was so large, but I do agree that going forward, events should just keep getting bigger and bigger, and that's really exciting. But yeah, moving on to Pokemon, uh, we saw some pretty neat variety but also some definitely some standardization in the top cut here right of course you know seeing a lot of the guardians in top cut up there we're seeing a lot of trick room users present on almost every team and they're you know one of the biggest threats or biggest threats you should be aware of heading into any tournament was celestila making it into finals on both teams so what do you make of that? I wanted to mention the Celesteela and both finalists teams because, uh, you know, just the day before, uh, people were kind of talking about, oh, wow, only like two Celesteela made it into the top eight cut. Like, that's not so bad because Celesteela is the most used Pokemon in the format right now. Uh, it's definitely a threat to be reckoned with. And uh, yeah, but it still managed to make finals on both ends and then win the whole tournament. Uh, so, you know... There's no quieting that beast. Excellent. <laughs> so what's interesting about Celestila, I think, is, you know, it is a typing we've seen before in Skarmory, and Skarmory was pretty much garbage for VGC, you know, in all years historically. And then all of a sudden, Celestila comes in with this amazing typing, having only two super effective weaknesses to fire and electric, and... You know, just the move pool it gets and the well-rounded stats just makes it such a huge threat, uh, especially with Leech Seed. You know, it's just kind of nuts, and you really have to be prepared for it. Yeah, uh, as you can see, like, pretty much all the teams in Cut had, like, electric types and fire types just to try to deal with Celesteela, having multiple ways to shut it down. Because once it starts setting up those Leech Seeds, uh, it's just uh, really hard to take down. Uh, it was also really interesting seeing a couple of players, you know, showing their mechanics knowledge, um, uh, leech-seeding their own partners to prevent the opposing Celesteela from using leech-seed onto them. And I thought that was a really cool mechanic that I actually wasn't totally familiar with. Uh, and it was really cool to see people show it off on the big stage. That's just showing really high skill, where you're preventing your opponent from healing, and you give... You're giving your Pokemon more health and you're preventing them. So if it comes down to, you know, the clock running out or 
you just knocking them out before they can knock out you, that's going to happen that way. So very clever play from the players who managed to pull those off. Yeah, it was really cool to watch. Uh, I believe Yuri pulled it off uh, once on stream. Um, I'm trying to remember who else did it, but it was very cool play. Um, and then moving on, I think something else I wanted to mention uh, was uh, between the two finalists, they actually shared three Pokemon. And they were the only people to use these three Pokemon in cut. So, you know, definitely something to look forward uh, to. Maybe this, these three Pokemon are a strong core to build a team around. And those three would be Celesteela, Arcanine, and Gastrodon. Uh, a lot of people um, are using water types. And so Gastrodon kind of walling them out and then allowing Arcanine to kind of sit in front of water types and... Uh, Snarl, Intimidate, Will-O-Wisp, stuff like that is really cool. And yeah, it's definitely a strong trio there that managed to help both the finalist players reach where they got. So one of the biggest reasons why Gastrodon's probably up there is, aside from its typing and very good move pool, able to recover itself, boost its defense with stockpile if you if you decide on using that, is just the kind of the rock-paper-scissors thing it has going on here. So... Again, we mentioned Celesteel is one of the biggest threats to this format um, in the beginning here. And a lot of people need to rely on both electric and fire types for the super effective damage stab bonus too from their uh, from those Pokemon. And something that beats them is going to be a Gastrodon. It's either immune or resists, or resists both of them. And especially something like Marowak, who is going to be helping out with the... Um, both supporting its own Celestila and helping fight against others, you know, with that uh, Stab Flare Blitz. It's a pretty big player, and Gastron's here to help answer that a little bit. And it's Gastron's shown to be really diverse, and I think, especially in this format where the power's gone down a bit, it's going to have a lot more presence. Yeah, and we saw... Uh two different Gastrodon sets on both the finalists' teams, but I believe both players choosing to use Toxic. I think one player just chose to use Ice Beam instead of Protect. And, uh, you know, that's pretty typical on water types to see the water ice coverage, but dropping that to have Toxic to kind of wear down the bulkier Pokemon and maybe a more, what's becoming maybe a more defensive format, is a really interesting change because Gastrodon can kind of just sit there and recover away while Toxic whittles down the opponents, and uh, it can be a very strong strategy on bulky Pokemon. Yes, and according to the official team list from Pokemon.com, I think the Gastrodons were... One had Protect and one had No Protect with Toxic instead. Okay, so they both did have Ice Beam then? Y yes. Okay, yeah. I thought they both had Toxic, but it makes sense, because, uh, yeah, Ice Beam is kind of a staple on water types to deal with Pokemon like Garchomp and Salamence. And something similar to, you know, Celestia and Gastron kind of play similarly, where they can deal out d damage when they need to, but they have the more defensive style of play to help them win the game. And... You know, those are some big things that are coming out of this international and just this early format is some of the defensive styles of play. Some of the, some of these defensive strategies are a lot more viable than they were in the past just because the timer and the way the timer works is different now. Yeah, you don't have to worry so much about playing slow and kind of reaching an end game where 
you know, you maybe have one or two Pokemon kind of beating the rest of the opponent's team. Uh, those strategies are definitely a lot more viable now because uh, as long as you make your moves quick enough and don't let yourself run out of time, uh, then the game will continue to go on and your strategy will have enough time to be executed. Yeah, and touching on Marowak a little bit from earlier, you know, it's one of the hardest hitting Pokemon we have this format. And while it's very popular right now, it is not going to go away anytime soon. And, you know, a bunch of the reasons are just because it's supporting... A lot of the uh, water types and especially Celesteela that it's next to with Lightning Rod. So it's predicting stuff like that. Gyarados, Pelipper, plus any of its company in the rain. And on the offensive side, you know, you think about the three popular Guardians right now in Coco, Lele, and Bulu. You know, it hits, it hits all of them for super effective damage with either Ghost Fire or Ground moves. And, you know, it's immune It's immune to uh, Coco's electric moves because of Lightning Rod. And a lot of the Trick Room setters tend to be Psychic type. And which is kind of why you see a lot of Porygon 2 there. Other than it's one of the bulkiest Trick Room setters. It's also got the immunity to Shadow Bone, which is nice, as does Oranguru. Uh, funny how the normal Psychic typing actually really helps it out, this format. And I just, I honestly don't see Marowak going away anytime soon or at all. Yeah, and uh, the reason that Marowak is going to be so relevant, so popular throughout the whole season is because, you know, we're kind of limited on the number of fire-type Pokemon we have to choose from in this format. Uh, and that's why you see most teams having something like Marowak or Arcanine uh, or maybe Torkoal, because you really don't see much past those in terms of uh, fire-type Pokemon to kind of take down Celesteela. And electric-type Pokemon, you, you see a lot of discharge now because of Marowak, because you want to still be able to hit the Celesteela past Marowak. And so uh, Electric-type Pokemon are also going to be big, but that's why typically every team is going to have a Fire-type just to try to wear down Celesteela, and then Electric-types uh, are also kind of limited in this format. Right, that's kind of the restrictions we have on a on a, on a Alola Dex, on a Regional Dex format. And one of the Fire-types that we kind of trashed last time was Salazzle, and... One of the reasons for that is because it doesn't have access to Fake Out yet. Uh, simply because it doesn't get it as an egg move from Pokemon from Pokemon until uh, Pokemon Bank is open. So Salazzle is kind of just, you know, out there. It's Right now it's just a fast attacker and it doesn't do much other than that. But once it gets Fake Out, it's also going to add that support role. So maybe we'll see a little bit more of it. Um, we saw some Incineroar make Day 2 too in London. So that was neat for the fire types. Um, any other electric types that uh, you think have potential or um, could do something, you know, other than Coco, Zerkatry, Magnezone that we saw in London? You know, I was actually a really big fan of Magnezone, like day one of the format. Uh, I was just, uh, like, immediately when I knew that Celesteela was a threat, uh, I was happy to see uh, Magnezone kind of catch on here at London. Uh, at least a couple of players using it. I know it's going to continue to grow in popularity from here. Uh, just because of its ability to trap in Celesteela. Uh, but actually, I wanted to just jump back and comment on Salazzle really quick. Um, and I just think it's so disappointing that they gave like an ability that would be so perfect for the format to poke a Pokemon so frail, because being able to Toxic Steel types is exactly what we need to wear down Celesteela, but Salazzle is just so frail, and um, being a fire type, it's normally going to scare Celesteela out anyway. So, uh, it's just kind of silly that, uh, Salazzle 
almost is almost perfect to kind of deal with the format uh being a poison type also dealing with all the fairies but just a little bit too frail but you know it could still catch on i think i think so too and maybe the key here is go eviolite salandit <laughs> with uh toxic or something maybe give it rest or i don't know i actually don't know if it gets a healing move but uh there's perhaps options here um, you mentioned Solandit. It is actually faster than Celesteela, so, you know, uh, even though it does have that quadruple ground weakness, it can definitely poison Celesteela before it gets to, gets to attack, so that's at least a little bit neat. Yes, yes it is, and I guess to kind of still review some of the teams from London we saw, there's a lot of weather, you know, obviously very viable now with the various different setters. We saw Gigalith winning. We see a Ninetales in on Ben Kiriaku's team. The Alolan Ninetales, that is, and a Pelipper on Tommy and Nils' team. Uh, Polytoad on Tobias's team as well. And so, Gigalith on William Tansley's team. Ah, uh, yeah, I skipped over that, huh? Lots of weather. Lots of weather present with a uh, lot of interaction with all the terrains as well. Yeah, it seems like only one or two teams skipped out on weather, and uh, it's really cool to see uh you know using both polytoad and pelipper for their different roles uh we saw tobias use a very similar team to wolf glick and the pelo or the polytoad on that team was actually kind of a neat aspect to it you know running it had uh scald encore parish song and protect and so uh you know like i mentioned earlier water types typically have an ice move but it was foregoing it just to have a way to shut down a lot of Pokemon like Celesteela, where, you know, Celesteela, sometimes you end up in it with just Celesteela versus two, three, four Pokemon, and it's still going to win that game because of all the Leech Seed recovery it's getting every turn. However, with Parish Song on Politoed, uh, it can really just kind of shut down that plan immediately, uh, ending the game in three turns, and uh, Encore, another move on it, to lock Celesteela into Protect or into Substitute, or into Leech Seed if you actually feel like it, can be very, very strong. Uh, and back to Parish Song, paired with uh, Magnazone and its Magnet Pull ability, you almost have a pseudo-Parish Trap strategy there to lock the Celesteela in and then KO it in three turns thanks to Parish Song. Uh, and so this was uh, overall a really neat team and strategy there from Tobias and Wolf. I had not even thought of that, so that is really cool. Yeah, it was a really cool strategy that, uh, you know, you you want to be the one that who thought of that because that's just completely awesome. It's definitely something uh, that's going to be catching on. And I've already seen lots of people trying it out for themselves, but uh, very creative and really, you know, analyzing what is popular and what are the like ways that people haven't thought of to beat the popular things. Now, if we move to Trick Room Setters, I'm looking at the Day 2 teams. There is a lot of Porygon 2. And I guess second to that is probably a Rangaroo as a Trick Room setter. Mm -hmm. You know, what do you make of this? What do you make of Porygon 2? Well, Porygon 2 was the most popular Pokemon, I believe, uh, in Master's Day 2. And, uh, you know, it's understandable with Pokemon that can set up Trick Room, which is a very valuable move, uh, being able to, you know, put the speed control in your favor or reverse it if you are trying to not use a Trick Room mode. Uh, is very strong. Obviously, the Violite gives Porygon 2 such crazy bulk, uh, along with Recover, just letting it last for almost forever. And uh, it's got great coverage uh, through Tri-Attack, Shadow Ball, Thunder Rolt or Discharge, and Ice Beam. Uh, and then a lot of people choose to run Toxic on it, similar to the Gastrodon set, where 
It's a very bulky Pokemon that can set up a Toxic on something and recover forever. So it's really cool uh, how long Porygon 2 can last and uh, how disruptive it can be in a game where it can kind of just sit on the field and chip away, chip away, chip away at your team and support the rest of its uh, members. It's just crazy how some of these defensive members of a bunch of these players' teams have just risen to the occasion when we get introduced to Z moves, thinking they're gonna, they are powerful, but they're not dominating, you know, just creating an, a, an extremely hyper offensive format. We're seeing a lot of defensive play, you know, like really cool Pokemon is played. You know, I like seeing defensive strategies. I like playing a slower game like that. And just seeing what's out there, you know, makes things really, really interesting. Yeah, it was also interesting. You mentioned uh, the Z moves. You know, we saw typically one Z move per team. I don't know of any of the top eight teams that forego or forego. Uh, skip that word. We're not going to try to pronounce it. We, <laughs> uh, it's any teams that skipped over using a Z move. But uh, we saw a couple of teams use two Z moves on uh, their team. And uh, I thought that was an interesting choice. Uh, I believe William Tansley did on both his Raichu and his Gyarados. Uh, and uh, I think maybe there was another team with Tapu Lele and Gyarados that both had the Water and Psychic Z Crystals. And it's really cool to see, you know, having the option to use both. Because maybe uh, your Pokemon are already good enough without a item. And so you just want to have, you know, the variability to just... You know, drop a nuke anywhere you need one. You know, use a very strong move to clear a Pokemon off the field, depending on what the situation asks for. Yeah, a lot of creativity there with the different Z crystals around. And it makes things a lot more exciting when you have to... I mean, obviously, there are popular Pokemon that are popular with the Z crystals. But it's always a fun dynamic to figure out who's actually holding it and what Z move people are actually using and why. So... Another very neat aspect coming out of London, uh, certainly to develop as our season keeps moving forward. But do you see any other kind of strange Pokemon here that stand out to you from the some of the Day 2 teams? Because I see Incineroar on a few teams, you know, that's kind of interesting, even though it does not get access to Intimidate. You know, it's still kind of neat that it's being used. Um, you know, you see some Lilligant Torkoal teams, that was kind of expected. Uh, as one of the main cores heading in. On the uh, topic of Lilligant Torkoal, uh, I believe Conan Thompson was one of the only teams with Torkoal that did not have a Lilligant on it. Um, and it's a really interesting strategy because, you know, he has the Oren Guru on it, and, you know, you typically expect to see uh, Lilligant paired with that because that's a very common uh, trio of Pokemon, giving it the Trick Room mode to spam Eruption or After You Lilligant with Sleep Powders. Uh, allowing Torkoal to get off eruptions as well. Uh, but it seems that Conan uh, dropped Lilligant and uh, ended up using both Crocodile and Garchomp, both Pokemon seen as sort of similar for their ability to uh, use Earthquake a lot, but uh, really interesting team from him that uh, ended up getting him into the top 16 just barely. Yeah, I like the choice of having uh, no Lilligant because... Not Okay, I'm not saying specifically for this format, Grass is a bad type, but Grass offensively is generally not the best type you'd want. Uh, now, it, maybe it is because you have Gastrodon, Gigalith, Crocodile, a uh, bunch of water Pokemon with uh, on the Pelipper side of things. But um, 
being able to free up another slot for something else other than Lilligant, you know, gives you some more options because you don't necessarily need to do the after you eruption strategy all the time. And maybe you're better suited using a different and perhaps better Pokemon in that slot. Yeah, and uh, to kind of deal with uh, these Torkoal teams, you saw a couple of people using Araquanid, uh, as well as just being a very strong water-type attacker. I think Araquanid is one of the most interesting Pokemon in this format because of how hard it can hit with that water bubble ability and how unique it is to itself. It kind of gives it a very, very strong stab move uh, with Liquidation, or you know, if you choose to run Special, like we saw Arash use... Um, with Scald or Surf or something like that, um, it can hit really hard with its water moves. But the rest of its moves are kind of just not as strong. Little like Pokes, um, like Leech Life, not doing too much even to Oranguru. Uh, but though, like a lot of people running the Z water move on it because it can just clear the field uh, of whatever slot you end up targeting. It is such a crazy ability it has. It's like three and one, right? It's Water Veil. It's uh. It's uh, it's like having a rain up, so the fire moves do less damage, and it's doubling your water moves. So it's it's really wonky, uh, really good ability for it, and maybe perhaps there's an unexplored um, possibility here. But it also learns entrainment, so there's a way you could. Someone's got to come up with this at some point. Is use entrainment to pass along either water bubble or water absorb to something else, which could really abuse that uh, ability. Steven, don't give away our strategies on the show, you know, like we have to have some things to bring to the tournament, you know, and, you know, like how else are we going to do well if you're just giving away everything right here on the podcast? That's the point, man. We're information. We're information. Oh, man. Well, you know, if somebody does well enough with it, we'll take the credit. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if we're foolish enough to give away all our major secrets. It's not like we have many anywhere. No, you haven't actually. Uh, I don't even know what you're thinking for this format because I know you actually haven't played any yet. That is correct. Even after London has ended, I haven't played a single game yet. You know, I've watched them now, obviously, because of the stream and stuff. But, you know, I'm still uh, stewing over here in uh, whatever I'm cooking up, which is nothing right now. <laughs> but uh, I'm getting there. Uh, another really cool Pokemon that we saw rise up and, you know, was, uh, I believe, present multiple times in the cut uh, was Muck, Alolan Muck. Uh, showing its strength because it's uh, only got one weakness. You know, uh, we saw this typing beforehand in Skuntank and uh, maybe another Pokemon, but I can't quite think of it at this very moment. Drapion! Drapion, okay, yes. Um, I knew that it was present before, but the Pokemon weren't uh, too impressive. But Muck has got a really nice bulk. Um, its typing is very relevant in this format. Being immune to being a poison type that's immune to psychic means that it can deal with Tapu Lele really well, and also just being a poison type in general means that it can just like really heavily dent all of these Tapus, all the uh, Guardian Pokemon, and so and then it's also got the knockoff ability. We talked about Porygon too being so popular and uh, knocking off its Violite uh, just before so that uh, it's not as bulky and not lasting as long. Uh, Muck can actually be a really, really strong Pokemon. Um, and, oh, I actually forgot to mention uh, another awesome uh, aspect of it is the uh, Gluttony ability, uh, giving it uh, the ability to eat its Figgy Berry or equivalent berry uh, at 50% health or less. And so 
Uh, Muck kind of has like 150% health if you choose to run that set, and that's nothing to laugh at. Yeah, those are very cool new mechanics, you know, that the berries finally gave, that are finally useful now. Um, you know, Muck can certainly utilize this. I think Snorlax would also be a possibility here. With that, um, right, Snorlax gets gluttony, I think. Yep, Snorlax right? has been using that a lot, actually, to make use of Belly Drum. Uh, because Snorlax can kind of belly drum for free. You know, if it's at full health, uh, it will go just down below half if you choose to Eevee it correctly, uh, so that it eats its berry, uh, or its belly drum brings it down to exactly half HP, and then it will eat it, go all the way back up to full, and have maxed out attack. Yeah, I think, I think the berries finally got buffs this gen, is that right? Because before, like, uh, what was it? Figgy, Ayapapa, Wiki, those were all kind of junky ones. Yeah, I believe beforehand they healed either 25% when you were below one-fourth or something along those lines. Uh, and they still uh, typically activate just below one-fourth, so they're not going to be the most useful on every Pokemon. But because uh, Citrus will still activate just below half. Um, and, you know, kind of going down to one-fourth HP can be deemed a bit too risky because... Uh, uh, if you're just above that at, say, like 30%, you know, a lot of Pokemon are going to be able to knock you out from there. However, on these Pokemon with Gluttony, it makes these berries very, very useful. All I gotta say is Harvest. Yeah, that's a very cool aspect, too. Uh, but I don't think those Pokemon would be able to make a ton of use of it, because they... No, because their health would have to get way too low. That's too dangerous for them. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, we saw Angel Miranda at the New York PC using a Belly Drum Snorlax set, and uh, instead of having, like, Protect, he had Belly Drum, I believe, Return and Crunch, and then Recycle, which is similar to your Harvest uh, strategy here that you mentioned, uh, except that Snorlax would be able to activate this below half HP and then just keep recovering, almost using Recycle as, like, a pseudo slack-off on Snorlax. Yeah, certainly. That's... Very, very, very cool. Uh, glad to see Snorlax seeing some play, you know, especially with the new berry mechanics. Um, you know, Snorlax is one of my favorite Pokemon, so glad to see that. I was just going to mention, uh, you know, you guys might not be able to tell, but I've mentioned this to Steven now, and uh, he is definitely building a Snorlax team right now in his head, and I am looking forward to seeing it in the future because I know Steven loves Snorlax, and I can't wait to see him actually try it. Sure, sure. Well, there weren't that many uh, Snorlax in Day 2 of London. You know, it has options. You know, if you decide to forego the Gluttony path, you also have Thick Fat. And against a Marowak, you have Crunch to help you there. So, uh, if you need some kind of strange check to Marowak, you know, Snorlax still has a lot of exploration to do. As do many other Pokemon. A lot of the Pokemon are viable this format, which is just so exciting. Yeah, and, uh, you know, this is... Uh, I believe we might have talked about this on the podcast, or maybe you and I just talked about it on the side, but um, there are so many Pokemon this generation that are viable now, which compared to last generation, uh, just including Megas, uh, this is a huge, awesome change. Uh, we're seeing so many of these Alolan forms are very popular and strong, and a lot of the new Pokemon that were introduced, uh, like the Ultra Beasts, like the Guardians, um, and then... Uh, other new Pokemon like Oranguru and um, Mudsdale, Vikavolt, other new Pokemon are all have like these cool niches that make them strong and good. And uh, like in the sixth generation, when X and Y was introduced, we only saw like a handful of Pokemon that were actually viable in VGC, like Talonflame, Aegislash, Sylveon. 
Uh, other than that, you didn't see a whole lot. And so it's really cool that so many of these new Pokemon are very, very relevant. Couldn't agree more. I like the, you know, despite some very, uh, a lot of similarities between the teams and everyone almost seemingly to have a Guardian present or an Ultra Beast present of some sort. Uh, actually, we didn't talk about some of the other Ultra Beasts that, uh, that much. Are there any other ones that kind of stick out to you that, or any other ones that aren't here that you think do have a, um, that have a, could have a role in the future? Well, uh, the one that, uh, I'm not surprised to, uh, not surprised by its absence is Guzzlord. It does have a quadruple weakness to Fairy. It shares the same typing as Hydreigon, but not the speed. Uh, it's a lot slower, and, uh, and such a Fairy, uh, with Fairy types being so common, uh, it just doesn't really have uh, much reason to come out. It does deal with Marowak very, very well, uh, but uh, it's just uh, it's, its weaknesses are too common. And uh, but the ones that I'm surprised uh, that we didn't see at least like one out of are Nihiligo and Fermosa. Um, Buzzwall is another one that uh, I don't think really uh, is shocking to, at its absence. Uh, it's got Again, a lot of weaknesses, and it's not very fast, and it's not very specially bulky, so fairy types, again, are going to be giving it a lot of issues, whereas it can't really deal with the fairy types itself because of its bug fighting typing. However, Fermosa has an unbelievably high speed stat, and uh, it's got a very strong fighting Z-move that I believe can be used to one-shot Porygon 2, which is, I think, one of the only Pokemon in the format that can reasonably do that. That's very intriguing. I think, you know, there, there are options here. It also, you know, obviously has very good offensive moves. Also one of the faint users for the format. Uh, there are maybe one or two here I'm seeing, maybe three on day two of London. So there's what's really exciting here coming out of London is there's just lots of exploration to do with some of the beasts, some of the Guardians movesets, and just a lot of other Pokemon. But I have to agree with you there with uh, Feramosa's speed. Um, do you typically typically see people running the speed boosting natures or attack boosting natures? On Nehaligo, I think people are running attack boosting natures on it just because uh, it's got a 151 stat and not much else kind of comes close to that. Uh, you know, the next really major threshold is 130, and I'm not sure if a uh, adamant... Feromosa still outspeeds Tapu Koko, uh, or Aerodactyl or Crobat of the Pokemon, or the other Pokemon around that margin. But, uh, it's, like, crazy fast, and so, uh, and it's also really strong, so it typically tries to boost its offensive a little bit more, uh, because that's kind of the only way that's gonna be keeping around, uh, with such low defenses, is by kind of one-shotting everything in sight before it can even be touched. Yeah, you want to take advantage of the beast boost ability as best you can, even though its speed is still probably going to be one of the highest stat, probably its highest stat. And maybe the few reasons to go with the speed boosting nature is to outspeed other things gaining speed from weather, from weather, from the uh, weather abilities. So some options there from some of those ultra beasts, you know, what you mentioned about Guzzlord, I actually hadn't thought about how it has a decent answer for Marowak. Perhaps underexplored, or it's just going to be pretty much nothing all season. Yeah, and I'm also scanning through, uh, and I've looked through this list uh, in its entirety beforehand, but I'm glancing through it again, and I was there a complete lack of Nihaligo? Because uh, I think it's got an interesting 
uh, role to it in that it uh, can, you know, with like a life orb, it can one shot all of the Tapus. Uh, I'm not so sure about Feeny. I bet Feeny could live a life orb sludge bomb with its bulk. Uh, and then it's got the power gem, which can just kind of wipe Marowak off the floor. Uh, and then it does have that 103 speed stat, putting it just over Garchomp. And while the Assault Vest was definitely very popular at this tournament and is going to be popular going forward, uh, if it doesn't have the Assault Vest, Life Orb, Hidden Power Ice from Nihaligo can typically knock out Garchomp, or at least come close. And uh, just being faster than it means that uh, getting rid of Garchomp really quickly before it can Earthquake and one-shot your own Nihaligo is a really cool aspect of it. Yeah, even though Garchomp is only at one or two speed, and, you know, we generally see that as, you know, kind of your somewhat middle ground, or not, I guess we consider that fast. You know, Garchomp's still one of the fastest Pokemon around, uh, I guess, other than the few Pokemon who actually outspeed it, like Coco. Yeah, and so it's really cool being able to get the first hit in on a lot of things uh, with Nihiligo, um, and just doing so much damage and taking special hits so well. Um, we've talked about them all having their Achilles heel, uh, but yeah, um, it definitely has a good stat distribution besides its physical defense, uh, and so uh, I'm surprised at the real absence of it, but, you know, maybe it's something that'll catch on later, or maybe it's just not going to be so popular because of how common Celesteela is and how easily Celesteela can deal with it, um, but, you know, uh, Celesteela isn't the whole format, you know, Pokemon... Uh, there will be teams that deal with Celesteela very well, and so uh, that will leave room for Pokemon like Nihiligo to shine. We've spoken this loads, but there are just so many, so many options. So much, po- so many Pokemon have the potential to be viable, and maybe some just haven't broken onto the scene yet. And you know that's kind of expected with only a few weeks into the format. We still have over. Seven, eight months to explore until Worlds happens. So I think several things, there are going to be a lot of things that pretty much stay standard. They're going to be good for the entire season. Other things we might be seeing sway in and out from popularity. Yeah, uh, and kind of what we mentioned earlier uh, with the electric and fire types, there are still a lot of Pokemon in there that uh, have yet to be explored. Um, like Alolan Golem, uh, while it does have a very prevalent ground weakness, uh, it can, uh, I believe, with the double edge and its galvanize ability, take out Celesteela in one shot. And then it also can use uh, attacks like Rock Slide or Stone Edge to threaten the Lightning Rod partner, Marowak. Um, and so it's a very cool uh, Pokemon that I think is a bit underexplored, as well as uh, Lantern. It's another Pokemon that can kind of uh, deal with the Celesteela Marowak combo. Um, it also gets Soak. Which is kind of interesting. Uh, I think I've heard of people using Lantern with Tapu Bulu, and you can just kind of uh, soak things and then hit them with uh, grass moves and grassy terrain. And if Tapu Bulu's hitting you for super effective and grassy terrain, it's not a good thing for you. That's definitely going to hurt. You know, read my mind there. I've been thinking about Golem and Lantern too. Like, there, there are options here that, you know, people kind of played it a little more safely for London. Um, and that's reasonable, of course, because of all the points that you need to pick up, especially for the European players. Um, definitely a lot of cool electric type options that we'll see develop here. You know, Golem also has the support moves in, uh, Wide Guard, and Galvanize, you can also use Explosion <laughs> as, uh, 
Last resort. <laughs> Absolutely. I can't imagine how hard that hits. Uh, unfortunately, we did have the uh, abilities that change the typings to get a bit of a nerf this generation, I believe, from 1.3 to 1.2 boosts in power. But I still think that a galvanized explosion from Alolan Golem is going to hurt a lot. And I wouldn't be surprised if in electric terrain that like Oko would Tapu Koko. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's just pretty funny, I think. Uh, looks cool, too, with the big magnet. Yeah, uh, another Pokemon that we've seen uh, not so much of, but it's a decent supporter, is Togedemaru. Uh That one can, you know, it's got the Fake Out uh, and Encore and Poison Jab and Zing Zap uh, and Nuzzle. Uh, with the Lightning Rod ability, it's very good at shutting down opposing electric types like Tapu Koko, uh, protecting Pokemon like Gyarados or your own, maybe Celesteela. And uh, while it doesn't look like the most powerful, um, Zing Zap can uh, three-hit KO Celesteela uh, pretty easily. Um, sometimes uh, two-hit KO it if uh, they aren't the more bulky Celesteela, because uh, we've seen a lot of people start to run their Celesteelas faster and faster to kind of win the arms race between Celesteelas. Uh, and so, but it's not going to outspeed Togedemaru, so, you know, maybe that's a Pokemon that we could see catch on to kind of annoy Celesteela with its Zing Zaps, Nuzzles, and Encores. Certainly. Another Electro-type option for you there. Very supportive Pokemon. And I don't I don't believe it does too much offensively, but if you need a supported, support role in your Electric slot, then uh, Togedemaru is perhaps an answer for you. So other than Togedemaru, are there any other options or any other Pokemon you want to talk about before we... Start moving away from the metagame and just talk about some other things here quickly. Uh, well, I guess since we have like the list of uh, fire type Pokemon here, um, and I'm looking at one of them at the very bottom. Uh, there's the new Pokemon introduced, Turdinator, which has that new uh, move. I think it's called Shell Trap or something similar, and it's like a 150 base fire move uh, that is if they make contact with you, it activates. And so, um, you know if people know your Turninator is going to be trying to pull off this kind of strategy. Maybe they'll just kind of ignore it. Uh, however, I think something silly you could do with it is uh, use a Pokemon with Spotlight next to your Turninator to force them to target the Turninator, and then Turninator kind of explodes on them with its crazy shell trap move. Uh, you know, maybe that's one way to kind of bait Celesteela in, into thinking it's safe. Uh, is it you think it might heavy slam your uh, Shenotic or... Clefable, uh, but you just kind of redirect it over to the Turtinator, who then shell traps them and then takes them out with a heavy hitting fire move. So that sounds really cool. Actually, does Spotlight get priority? Uh, yes, I believe it does. Okay, cool. I did not know that. I'm not 100% sure, but seems like a lot of resources dedicated to uh, using a follow me at your partner and them setting a trap move, kind of like uh, Yu-Gi-Oh set a trap card, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> But, yeah, sounds fun. I uh, haven't thought of that yet. Uh, Shell Trap, you know, I looked at it. Seems interesting. Don't know the full mechanics on it. But, seems very cool. So, London has ended, and we have the, uh... What did they announce at the end of the stream? They didn't announce any new international or anything? No, I didn't quite catch that. But, in more recent news, we did find out that San Jose will have a official stream. Uh, from the the Pokemon Company International uh, with uh, some commentators. And uh, there was some exciting news alongside that. Uh, I'm really excited to have another officially streamed event uh, with commentary. And uh, yeah, if you want to 
go ahead and mention who the commentators are. Uh, I'm really excited. Yeah, this is great. We have uh, back-to-back weekends of officials, officially streamed tournaments from TPCI. And, you know, on cast we have Evan Latt, Dweeha, and Ray Rizzo, uh, who we've had in the past. And newcomer to the official stream is Gabby Snyder, who's been working a lot of these streams recently on grassroots as a grassroots uh, commentator for uh, some of the other regionals we saw in Florida. We also saw her in Phoenix. So she's been working hard. She's been doing a good job. Congratulations to Gabby on getting that position with as a commentator for the stream. You know, these all these four people are uh, top-notch and high-quality commentators. They're going to do a great job for us. They're also, um, I'm sure they'll work great together. Just, this is exciting, you know, two weekends back-to-back with a major officially streamed tournament like this. Uh, yeah, and I can't wait to see how they tackle the new format. We've yet to see them commentate Sun and Moon, and uh, I'm sure they're all going to be really excited. Uh, I'm sure they watched London to get an idea and uh like what uh is going on in the current sun and moon metagame and uh commentary is just going to keep getting cooler and cooler from here on out yeah very exciting we'll have a major event in san jose maybe our major event streamed in san jose other than worlds which was just a few months ago uh i don't know if we don't really need to talk about the players too much california's strong a bunch of them are going to be there i'm sure a few people are flying out uh, now that the event is streamed so that's exciting uh, sorry for kind of sliding the preview here a little bit, but, um, you know, kind of hard to predict with a new format. Surely new players will be coming out there. Hopefully they get a large turnout. Yeah, uh, California is known for its larger tournaments, uh, so that's going to be a really exciting aspect. And I do hope to see some new faces there uh, make a name for themselves. That would be really cool to see players, you know, who are enjoying the sun and moon format start to really show that uh show off their strength and uh yeah we'll be definitely talking about uh the results of it uh next week during our next episode uh and i'm really looking forward to seeing what happens this weekend after i watch some of it yeah same here same with the uh hopefully since the time zones are a little bit better this time i'll be able to actually watch the stream live and not have to worry about um going back to the through the log to catch up on everything, but I guess one last thing I want to ask you before we head out, and I know we got to get out of here soon, but when is the next international going to happen? Yeah, we really don't know, you know, because uh, unless they're all like in the summer, uh, at least in the uh, American summer, um, in those coming months, uh, I really don't know uh how soon they can have one because you know people need time to plan for these large events you know and if they're going to travel out to them they need to set aside vacation time and if uh pokemon wants a large attendance from this they're gonna have to give people more time and uh yeah they're really just running out of time uh they should have announced it uh honestly before london but uh you know at london would have been nice too but even now we're still left in the dark I thought that's what was going to happen. You know, Worlds, at the end of Worlds, they announced when next year's Worlds will be. I thought at the International, they were going to announce, so our next International is here, da-da-da. And that didn't happen. Steven, you're expecting the Pokemon company to make sense. Well, I need to expect something <laughs> from them. They are our governing body. So They are. So, uh, yeah, I'm expecting, honestly, either... The rest of the three bunched in the summer, or we'll get them roughly every two months until Worlds. 
So February, April, um, June, and then August. It would make sense to kind of spread out the major tournaments over the course of the year. And they also need to somehow include those travel award things throughout the season, right? You know, otherwise, why did they mention them in the beginning? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, if you want, like you said, you know, you need to spread them out if you want people to be able to attend all these events. And so uh, we are we should be expecting another one relatively soon then if we want to, you know, fit them all in in a reasonable amount of time that they're not all clumped together. So uh, hopefully we'll be telling you very soon about when the next international is coming about. But until then, we just kind of have to keep wondering. Yeah, I'm expecting... An announcement soon. Maybe we'll get it at San Jose on that stream. Who knows? But looking forward to watching San Jose. will be very exciting. We'll uh, definitely cover what happens at San Jose next time. And we'll give you guys a preview of Dallas as well. We'll talk about Dallas, which is happening at the end of the year. Um, lastly, we'll get out of your hair. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. We are on iTunes. We are Our show, again, is The Hyper Voice. You guys can find us there. Our email is vgchypervoice at gmail.com. If you guys have any questions, want to send us any feedback, you can send us an email there. You cannot post on Nugget Bridge at the moment because of a uh, recent hack, but um, to the actual website, you know, publishing pass- passwords and stuff. But you guys can send us an email or send us, send us a message on Twitter or tweet at us on Twitter. Speaking of Twitter, Alex, where are you? Uh, I'm at my house right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. I knew that. Yeah, I'm on winter break. Oh, you're, you're back from college, right? You're back from absolutely. college. Absolutely. Uh, but people can follow me at LexiconVGC. And Steven, where can we follow you? I am at Super Morioka. We'll let everyone go. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Hyper Voice. We'll see you guys next time for more. Peace out, guys.